Hey, everybody. It is Saturday. I think it's, uh, was it, 2 p.m.? Yeah, 2 p.m. here in Seoul. Um, this episode was recorded a week ago, um, but we're doing the recording for this now. It's going to be released in two days. Uh, it is winter here in Seoul. Uh, I love it. It's getting nice and cozy. It's a good time to stay inside, uh, play some games, hang out. I just saw that Half-Life VR was announced. Holy fucking shit. That is crazy. Uh, I'm very curious to see if that is going to succeed because, you know, VR has always sort of been a gimmick. I think we've really had yet to have a major, I would say, epic single-player experience, especially something on the scale of Half-Life. Um, I guess I'm not that surprised that they would have made it VR. Now that it's announced, it makes sense at least because they were always trying to push the envelope with FPS specifically. With the Half-Life franchise, they always had to go to the next level. For those of you guys who are, I guess, a lot younger than me, Half-Life 2 was the first game where um, you, it wasn't sprites. The, 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 when you shot down a character, the 3D animation stayed there. You could actually circle around it. A lot of, well, actually, I should say all of the FPS games before that, it was basically a drawing that you were firing at. So you'd circle around that, and it would turn with you. Um, and so I guess this is the next step for FPS, but crazy news, a uh, new Half-Life game finally coming out. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh this episode, and this is all, of course, perfectly in line with FPS, I got to sit down with CSGO caster Moses. So if you're a StarCraft player, person and you're not familiar with Moses, he is one of the great CSGO casters. I think CSGO has uh, some of the very best casting in all of esports. We got to talk about a lot of cool shit. Uh, he was actually just randomly here in Korea on vacation, and when I realized there was a CSGO caster here, it's like Pokemon, man. I got to fucking get that interview with a, a guy who's not from my game um there's very little crossover with counter-strike and starcraft uh, at events which is kind of weird because these are the two original esports uh the only time i get to see csgo casters is usually very briefly when we share the green room at uh intel extreme masters in katowice in poland so uh, i did get to hang out with him we got to get some drinks and he came over to my house and was nice enough to give me some of his time to talk about counter-strike and valve and uh a lot of stuff. This is a really cool episode. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Um, so again, special thanks to him uh, for taking his time to do this with me. And uh, one quick reminder before we start, as we always do, there is an after show uh, with Moses and me that continues on from where the podcast uh, left off for Patreon supporters only. So if you want to get access to that, it's patreon.com forward slash tasteless podcast. The money there goes to continue to support this podcast to help us buy equipment, to help pay for editing, all that stuff. So if you want that, uh, now you know how to get it. Uh, and without further ado, let's go into this episode with Moses and I. So before we uh, before we got up here, you were mentioning that... Who was the player that went on Joe Rogan? Uh, Jordan Gilbert, nothing. Jordan Gilbert, yeah. yeah. And you said that uh, when he met Joe Rogan, he didn't want to talk to him until... The mics were on. Yeah, I and thought. I'm assuming that'd be different for a guest that Joe already knows. Yeah. Um, but that was just a funny story to me where it was just like, let's not talk. Let's make sure all the conversations are authentic. Like, I don't want to get to like a funny or a cool story and then have to kind of lead back into it not authentically. Yeah, I was thinking about that because a lot of times when I pick people up to bring them down here, I'm thinking, fuck, I wish the mics were on already. <laughs> but uh, now that I'm hearing that, I'm, I might have a different system in place. Just lav them up yeah. from the train. Yeah maybe, have, yeah, maybe have Ryan grab them or something and then bring them up here. <laughs> So you're going to Shanghai tomorrow, right? Yeah, Shanghai tomorrow for an event. I was in Beijing last week for, for a different Counter-Strike event. Okay. And if you're a Counter-Strike caster, you're just on the road forever, 
Is that correct? Yeah, this is, um, I mean, I'm lucky. This is a little vacation in the middle of it, which you don't normally get, but this is, this is the trip that I'm on right now is about six weeks straight on the road. I was in Turkey and then Sweden and then Copenhagen, uh, and then straight to Beijing and now here in Korea for vacation with my girlfriend and then Shanghai next week. And then I finally get to go home. So is, this year I did 300 days on the road. Last year was about 300 days on the road as well. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Is, is that is that good? I mean, or do you feel like you're built to be somebody who can travel? Because I feel like most people cannot handle that much uh, moving around. I, I would say I definitely can't handle it. But the fact that I get to travel the world and do Counter-Strike for a living is like, you know, you know what it's like. You have that, that game, StarCraft, for you that you just you just loved. And right. if it was, if I had to do a, like a different job, if I was like doing like an office or a consulting job for like, you know, economics, I don't know, what, any other job. If it wasn't esports, if it wasn't Counter-Strike related, I would have I would have dropped out of this crazy ass schedule a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> is, is there an off season, though? Is there a period no. where everybody just goes home? No, we have that weird situation where... It's been a big it's been a big talking point in Counter-Strike um for the past year or two is like do you do we want to go into like a more franchise or exclusive model the way that League of Legends or LCS is or do you want to keep an open system um and obviously there's positives and negatives to both but Counter-Strike is a is a scene that's deathly afraid of the franchise and the and the exclusive model but we also have sucked so much at organizing the open system so we just end up with this this like jambalaya of Counter-Strike where it's just like, you know, ESL does their eight events, DreamHack does their two pro events, Starladder does four events, and anyone who wants to come in who has money can throw a Counter-Strike event on this level and get the big teams to go there. So we just have no structure, and here you are. D does that cause some degree of confusion if you're a Counter-Strike fan where you're, you're not sure yeah. which tournament's the most important? Um, I think... As the hard the hardcore Counter Strike audience probably doesn't have that issue, but I think it's one of the big things that's stunting our development and our growth as an esport is that if you're a casual fan and you tune in for like you know the two majors that we have, which are the Valve sponsored events, and you're like, man, I this event was awesome. You know, I loved watching these playoff games. I would love to follow Counter Strike more in depth. This game is sweet to watch. Um, and then you come in as a new fan, you're just like, what's important? Because if you see two events or three events, and then like maybe you you're off for a month and you come back and you, you're not up to date on all the knowledge, so you don't know which events are important. A hardcore Counter-Strike fan is going to say something like, you know, oh, it doesn't matter that Astralis did bad at this event because, you know, this event really isn't that big of a deal in the context of the pro scene. But the casual fan doesn't know that. So it's hard. I would imagine it's very difficult for a casual fan to get involved on any kind of meaningful level. Because a lot of people that I talk to point to Counter-Strike as the big success story the in these standard, sports. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because... Every time I tune into a Counter-Strike event, I feel like it's supposed to be the biggest thing in the world. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like yep. the, the, the production's really good. Um, it's always super hype, but I, I've, I've never... There, there is no like one major tournament at the end of the year to crown a world champion. Is it just viewed as okay, the world, the best in the world is the one that won the last tournament? Is, is that how it's perceived? Um, I think with the amount of events that we have, for, the, for me personally, it usually takes... Um, about two months to kind of figure out any major shift in the rankings for for me in my mind, um, which for some of the top teams in the world, two of two months might be four events or so, something like that. Um, but but it is difficult to kind of establish that, and I think that's that's what most TOs are trying to do. ESL just announced their organized pro tour. They have the Intel Grand Slam, which is like the one unifying thing we have um, for CS events, but. Yeah, it's 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 tough to kind of uh, to figure that out. We do a really bad job of build up to events, and most of that is because we don't have the time to build up. You know, when you want to build up to an exciting event or you want to grow the excitement or the hype, you know, it's what's the what is the marketing, what is the content like leading up to that event? And we have so many events throughout the schedule that there is none. 
you know, the buildup is how a team did it, you know, a competitor's event. So we have the two majors, which are kind of held as our, as our like crowning achievements of some of the best teams in the world. And like this will establish this team as the best. And then I think ESL won Cologne and IEM Katowice are the other two events that have really like standalone um, proven that they are like a top tier major level event. So like we kind of have those four events that are, that are kind of like the parameters that we have throughout the year. I, one of the things I, I was wondering is that, so like when StarCraft two came out, um, there was events everywhere. Like there was a period yeah. where uh, we had a GSL finals here in Korea. There was one major tournament going on in Sweden. And then there was another, I think it was an MLG tournament going on in New York. And it was all in the same day. Yeah. And, and Blizzard basically said, there's too much market confusion. Nobody knows what they're supposed to watch. Yep. Um, and that's when they implemented WCS. But that also crashed StarCraft II pretty heavily because um, I guess also League of Legends was on the rise. Um, and, and there was other various factors here. But yeah, it, it seemed like it hit the game really, really hard. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm wondering what would have happened with StarCraft if they had just left it alone. Because CSGO is, is the model where uh, Valve is, is, from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, Valve's really hands off. <laughs> right, the, the, I'd say you're wrong. I'd say hands off is a, is an overstatement. There's though. no hands. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they've they've got no hands. They have no hands at all. <laughs> um, so because Blizzard's super hands on, but yeah. at times I feel like it's been to the detriment of the game. But CS:GO is, I think, in some metrics, the largest esport. Is that in part because the marketplace is allowed to compete? Uh, yeah, I, I would Im I would imagine that's a big part of it. Um, but I, I think also it's just a matter of time. Like I know, and, and maybe you know, it's always tough for me because I feel like my opinions, um, while probably probably uh, well, definitely extremely valid. I don't know if like because I'm so involved in it that I have like a different different view because I feel like I tend to have a very negative view um, of of what we have going on in Counter Strike. Like I don't want. I'm with you. I, I think having those like, well, actually, I don't, I don't really know what your opinion is, but we have that same problem where we have weekends where there's four tournaments going on at once. Yeah. And I'm like, why are we doing this to ourselves? And this is where I think the conversation is odd because I have no problem with people criticizing, you know, the negatives and, and, and wanting and being so fearful of an exclusive or a locked in, a closed off system for professional play. But let's at least be honest about the deficiencies of this open system that we have because yeah. we don't really have an open system. You know, we don't have any, we don't have any organization whatsoever in our, in our professional circuit. It's just like, who's got money, who wants to throw an event, how many of the top teams can you get there and let's go, let's roll the dice. And I think that is almost even, is even worse in a way than having an exclusive system. Like it's, it's kind of, it's kind of scary. Like I'm doing an event at the end of the year um, in Bahrain for Blast Pro Series. And on that weekend, I think there's, that's the last event of the year. That weekend, there's going to be a Beyond the Summit, which is a more casual event out in California. And then there's going to be like an ESEA, um, which is like a semi-pro division. It's for like the tier two teams or the upcoming teams and players to compete in. And I'm just like, we're, we're wrecking ourselves. We're competing. We're just constantly competing with ourselves. Like never mind all the other esports or all the other streamers you have to like compete for viewership with. We're competing with Counter-Strike with more Counter-Strike. And I think that's a detriment because that's, that happens frequently throughout the year. You know, there's probably one of one weekend a month where there's like three, three to five tournaments. I think it was in October. We had one weekend. I was working an event where there were six Counter-Strike tournaments going on at once. And each of them had at least two pro teams at it. And I was just like, what? the fuck I, I got i don't i don't know how to i don't know what to do about that like <laughs> yeah how does that even happen gosh yeah see now i didn't know it was this pronounced because I, I i it's pretty tough whenever i get on twitch yeah. I, I kind of click through and see what's going on and it seems like there's always a counter-strike event happening mm -hmm. um but yeah there's no 
I guess lots of tournaments is good, but if you don't have one tournament that's supposed to sum them all up, right? I, it, it's it's what the majors are supposed to be in theory. Yeah. Um, but the problem with the majors that they have is the majors are all seeded and ranked off the previous major. So we'll have a major in like March, and then six months later in August we have another major. But there's six months where there's been what i guess it'd have to be something like 20 to 20 professional events in that six month period or 15 professional events in that period that don't actually impact a team's seating so if a team drops off or a team gets really good or a team changes their lineup completely they still go off you know your rankings from the previous major that was six months prior so sometimes even the majors don't even accurately reflect what the scene is at that moment you know it's it's reflecting what the scene was six months ago so even even as one of your capstone events you're just like can you really count these? Like what happens if this team is actually ranked like top three in the world, but six months ago they were the 12th best team. So then they're seated as the 12th best team. Oh my God. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, like, no, I, I, it's, it's a very strange, you. it's a very strange thing to have happen. And it's, um, I, I think most of what's been going on towards the end of this year, um, we have, we have a, <laughs> we have another new league cropping up next year. Um, we have two leagues that have been around for, for, for a number of time, the ESL Pro League and then the, the Blast Pro Series that are restructuring the way their league is organized. Um, so next year is going to be a big telling point, but that's, that's kind of the year where everyone's looking at it and say, okay, we, we have to buckle down and organize this in a better, better fashion. How does this affect pro gamers? Because um, I know when there was um, the big StarCraft two boom, one of the funny things that was happening uh, for me as a caster, but also for the players is that there was so much traveling, hardly anybody had any time to play. Like in yeah. the first year of StarCraft yeah. II, I would have gone to... There was one month, I think I went to... It was in three different countries in a month, Yeah. right? And there was a patch that had come out, during, and I had no time to actually mess around yeah, in the game. Yeah, we've had that too, yeah. Yeah, uh, so th does this affect pros negatively? Absolutely. Um, I know, I mean, we had we had one team that be, that went to... Got second place the, at the Major in Katowice this year, uh, a team, the Finnish team called Ents. Um, and they kind of established themselves as a top uh, three, top five team in the world over the course of two to three months. And then they made a roster change and they've just plummeted. And one of the things that they cited, um, was the fact they didn't even have time to practice with the new lineup before they could really put it into play. Now, I mean, I'll be honest, that, that roster change was pretty, pretty dumb on their part, in my opinion. I, I think they would have tanked no matter what to a certain degree, but that, that's just one example. Um, the big thing is if you want to make a roster change, you know, it takes like, you know, maybe a month or two. It takes, you know, that, that level of practice to get back up to where you're feeling comfortable. Um, but if you're not playing in the events, then your rankings drop and your rankings kind of influence how you get direct invites to tournaments. So then all of a sudden, if you're not getting directly invited to tournaments, then you have to drop down and play in the qualifiers. So not only are you being invited to two events a month or one event a month, but you also have to play in the qualifier for two to three other events that month and then that affects your travel even more we've had we've been in a situation in counter-strike where one of the big complaints that players had was you know if we're going to go to an esl event and then we also have to play in the online qualifier for like a competitor's events we need to have a practice room available because we just can't afford to not be able to play counter-strike for this week we're at events so now we have a company like ESL paying extra money to get, you know, to book out an extra hotel room to set up five PCs inside of it so that players can practice and players can actually, the teams can play their qualifying events for competitors, which is a very weird situation to be in. Um, it's, it's happening for online games. It's happening for qualifiers. The Counter-Strike scene, and this is where I think my opinion is very negative. I, like, I don't, I don't know how you are supposed to exist in this space as a TO because you're just getting stretched so thin and you're also 
being forced to help competitors run their own events. Yeah. In that sense, you, you know, like it's, it's a very weird, weird situation to be in. But if you don't do that, then you get hit with the PR. Then the players are, you know, some of the players, and I think they've gotten better at this over the years, will be like, man, it's bullshit that, you know, so-and-so hasn't provided us with PCs to play in this other league's, you know, yeah. tournament. And it's like, well, what the fuck? Like, what do you expect them to do? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, what's interesting is that I've found everybody in every game that they're working in has, has got a lot of concerns. Like, if you talk yeah. to a lot of people that work yeah. in StarCraft, they're concerned with Blizzard or or, or just the state of RTS games or, or the way tournaments are being run. But I, by every game I've talked to, I've talked to people in all different types of esports. There's always a lot of concern about how things are being handled. I think part of that is, I think I think part of it for me, what from what I from what I witness, and maybe this is like a little bit of like my boomer viewpoint of everything, where <laughs> it's just like in esports, we fucking we love hand jobs. We love those like verbal hand jobs on Twitter of like, oh, yeah. the, you know, I love it every time I do a major, and it's like I got you know guys from like you know Hex and Fwiz and like all the Call of Duty guys have been like, man, CS:GO is like the best esports ever. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's cool as fuck. They really appreciate my esports, but. I mean, like everyone realizes when they hit like 20 years old is hand jobs aren't that cool. Yeah. And like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it doesn't actually get you anything. Yeah, yeah. Like, like we just did. Well, today was the esports awards ceremony, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And they announced League of Legends won best esports game of the year and Counter-Strike was second. And um, I know a lot, a lot of Counter-Strike fans and as people loyal to one game and one esport will always say, you know, Counter-Strike got robbed. It should have won that. And I'm sitting here. I'm like, no. League of Legends deserves that shit. Like yeah, Counter Strike is not the best esports. Counter Strike is probably the best esports game, yeah. but it is not the best esports product. We, we are seen as such a mess, and I think you know we're at the point now where it's like if we don't stop giving each other these hand jobs about how good of a, a game we have and how good of an esports we have, we can't actually address the problems because everyone is just so jacked up on how cool our game is compared to other scenes. Yeah. and it's just like, but there's so many problems we need to get to that we need to fix. Rev, revenue stream like you know revenue streams for the tos is an issue how are we going to have an esport if our tos can't even afford to, to make money you know it's going to dry up at some point all this investment what is it like um with with valve being so hands-off does that does that give you comfort or does that infuriate you or or what is that like and just for the people listening um, if you were to look at Riot or Blizzard and yeah. how they handle their esports, they're very, very, very hands-on. Yeah. Um, now Blizzard's in um, a bit of free fall here with <laughs> with uh, the firings, and then um, there's many important people that are leaving Blizzard. So I, I don't know where they're going to be at exactly, but historically they were very hands-on. Right. Uh, and Riot, of course, is also completely present. Yeah. Uh, and, and and actually completely in control of their hands e and feet. And yeah, hands and feet. <laughs> and um, when I look at Valve. I don't know if I should be impressed or shocked or confused or, or, or what. They're just uh, not there at all. Um, you know, I I have so many different opinions on this, and it's it's hard. And I, I feel like kind of like an asshole because I can't really give you a definitive answer. Like, in one sense, um, like, first of all, like, I can't really blame them. They're, you know, they're devs who wanted to come in and code video games for a living. They didn't want to have to, like, build an entire esports ecosystem. Right. And they probably don't even necessarily have the business know-how to, like, be able to manage all these different conflicting situations. So on that side, I'm just like, yeah, that's fair play. Like, you guys just wanted to be devs. You guys just want to make a cool video game. And, yeah. you're, and you're also succeeding. Even if I don't agree with all your decisions in terms of gameplay changes, you're succeeding. 
Um, on the other hand, I think it's amazing that they're so hands off because I do very much believe that, you know, if this is something that's going to succeed, it's going to be the market that dictates it, not, you know, a developer, um, you know, being so hands on. And also I look at a game like Overwatch where the developer is so involved in it. I'm just saying what happens if the developer says this is like a waste of time and money and then all of a sudden they pull out and then that game just dies. You know, I don't yeah. want that Well, they already did either. this with Heroes of the Storm. Right. You know, and that, that, that scene just collapsed. Yeah, that, that was the big, I think the big shock. In, yeah. in all of gaming was that, oh, you can just end this? Yeah. Because uh, people, I think, especially with a company like Blizzard, were always under the impression that... Blizzard has usually that, been very loyal to their games. Over yeah, years. yeah. And so to see them pull out and yeah. then, you know, even if you're someone who just played Heroes of the Storm for fun, I think that them pulling out of um, HGC... It, it kills the game in such an incredible way. Yeah. I mean, it really says... So definitively. We, yeah, we don't <laughs> care. Why, why would you even bother trying to play this game or get good when we yeah. won't even back it? Yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, no, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing, right? Like, and I, I don't mind them being so hands-off, except for the fact that I think where Counter-Strike really struggles compared to other games and other esports is we don't really have a very fleshed out like content creator system. You know, like we don't have a whole lot of like Counter-Strike YouTubers. We have a few of them. And then the ones that we do have do pretty well. Um, but what I, where I look at Valve and I say, we don't need you to be hands-on with all of the esports and all the technical or all the all the know-how of organizing the scene. But like, you know, why is your Twitter account not retweeting the, the content creators? Like, why are you not helping other people, you know, and this will be just be like a selfish example, but you know, if I want to make a Counter-Strike video or if I want to make like a weekly video on updating about the esports scene, why am I not getting some kind of, why are they not helping me, ex you know, build my brand and grow my brand and grow my content that that's then in turn going to help their game. It's, it's a very simple thing for them. Um, not, I'm not even doing that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, not trying to be, you know, narcissistic about it, but that's where I feel like Counter-Strike is missing the most is the content outside of the game. We obviously have more than enough esports and more than enough tournaments going on, but where's all the content that can generate more interest for the game? I was always weirded out too when, because um, I actually play uh, CSGO from time to time. Yeah. Me and some of my buddies, this is like my the equivalent of like 30 and over intramural <laughs> basketball game because I'm not very good at CSGO, but, uh, you know, I grew up playing it a lot. So I was going to say, you're from that generation. Yeah, I'm from like, that generation. Yeah. It, was, it was basically StarCraft. Everyone played Counter-Strike yeah. at some point. Yeah. Counter-Strike yeah. and StarCraft yeah. and Quake were like the yeah. three the, games the, the three games that were there. So uh, <laughs> uh, whenever I try to get on, uh, I'm always kind of surprised that it's, uh, for instance, you can't play more than two games uh, to get ranked. Do you, do, you, do you know about this? Like you can only play two ranked games a day. Um, whenever I try to get my friends in on this, it could be. Listen, I even even when I've had time at home, I still don't play matchmaking. I mean, this is that's just a funny story because that just leads into the other thing with with Valve is, you know, if you want to be a serious Counter Strike player, you don't use Valve's matchmaking system. You go to a third party. Yeah, this is where you I was. Pay this ES is actually yeah. what I was trying to lead into. Okay. Yeah, perfect. Is, yeah, is you that... you pay ESCA like you know seven to fifteen dollars a month to play on their matchmaking. You pay Face It, you know whatever ten ten dollars a month to play on their system, um, and that's got the better anti cheat. That's got the better and more streamlined match match finding. You know automated service. Um, ESCA has all the leagues attached to theirs as well. So I mean that's just kind of a funny angle of it. Where, but at the same time. ESCA has been around since 2004, 2005. So it'd almost be a shame if like Counter-Strike, if, if Valve came in and just destroyed that company that actually kept Counter-Strike alive in North America for over a decade. Like if it wasn't for ESCA in North America, Counter-Strike wouldn't be a thing. It's crazy when you look at Valve and what their business philosophy is. Because mm -hmm. uh, I knew this guy uh, high up in gaming that went to, uh, I guess there's these big conferences where yeah. game developers basically share what they're trying to do. 
Um, and the person from Valve that was at this conference basically said, we don't make anything anymore. Everybody makes stuff for us. Yeah. That's how we've won is we, like, they own Steam. Yep. I mean... Uh, genius, I, by the way. Genius. I remember when Steam came out. You probably do too. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck yeah. is this shit? Yeah, and I'm like, and wait, then, my games are just always there? Yeah. I don't well, have these scratch CD ROMs that I have to yeah. <laughs> find. I, I was much. weirded out. I was like, yeah. I don't even want to deal with this. Like, why do I have to re-download this game, this Counter-Strike that I had? Yeah. And then 20 years later, you're like, oh, that's actually a genius play. You guys win. You guys won the game, literally. Yeah. It's, 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 it's totally fascinating <laughs> because... Um, yeah, it it seems to have worked. I've actually heard, and I don't know if this is true, that Valve is the richest private company. I've um, been told that as well. Yeah. I think it was like per employee, they make the most money per employee. Yeah, or yeah. There's, there's some type lines. of metric, but yeah. apparently it's just absurd uh, uh, how yeah. much uh, they, they they take in. Well, I mean, this this is the interesting part about the you know the business in general, and and also just focusing on Counter-Strike too is like one thing Counter-Strike has never had is any sort of competitor. Yeah. There's never been anyone who's been able to even Call of Duty as an FPS could never touch Counter-Strike in terms of, I mean, I shouldn't say that because I think COD obviously is a, is a cool game and has an amazing competitive scene and history to it. And obviously it's massive, makes a shit ton of money. But no game has ever like really truly challenged Counter-Strike as an esports title. And nobody's ever truly challenged Valve as like a game distribution center. Now we have Epic coming in. So maybe that'll change things. Um, and I know for people in Counter-Strike, we're kind of like, wonder what happens when, when Counter-Strike gets a competitor. I wonder if Valve is going to take a little bit more of a hands-on approach. Yeah, I, I'm curious about that. I, I, real quick question, too. I don't know how much you know about this, but do they handle Dota the exact same way, or is there a different model that they in use? In terms of their esports? Yeah. It's very different. Okay, so that, that's what I um, understood, but I wasn't well, 100% okay, sure. Well, okay, let me say this. I cannot be sure because I've, I've never actually confirmed it with the devs, but I know one of the philosophies that we've always been told, and at this point, you know, I've, I've heard it so many times over years that I'm not even sure really where the information came from to verify it, but um, I, I was told that devs between Dota and Counter-Strike, they don't always, they want to do different approaches and see what works better. Um, I know we've had a couple conversations with them, especially early on in Counter-Strike. We were asked if we wanted an international. Um, and pretty much unanimously, the, the pros and people involved in CS Esports said no. Um, which, I, I mean, who knows? That that could have been a mistake. Um, but we they, they do things pretty differently. Dota has way more devs. I think Dota has like three or four times the, the developers that, that Counter-Strike has. Um, and I think that fluctuates as well based off the way that Valve operates as a company. Um so, so we have different ecosystems, different people working on the games, and different philosophies on how to achieve, I guess, a similar goal. With Valve being the way that they are, 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 are is there any chance of them having like another CS or Counter Strike come out? You know, uh, CS goes actually yeah. out for a while, but twenty twelve it came out. So yeah, yeah, it's 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 getting to it's uh it's getting to old age, I guess you'd. Yeah, say, yeah, yeah. I mean, what? I, I don't know. I guess that depends on like video game culture of these days, because I mean. Well, here's the weird weird thing is 1.6 lasted from 1999 until 2011, 2012. And CS Source didn't take off the way they wanted it to. A lot of people still played on 1.6. Source actually... Source was cool. It had its own healthy, vibrant scene, and I've I've done my share of source bashing, and um, I probably, however, a little bit more love for the game. And Counter Strike, you're always like a 1.6 player, a source player. Yeah, yeah. That actually split the scene more than anything. And back then, at that point in time, it didn't necessarily matter because we didn't have a cohesive community that we do per game nowadays. Um, but it is it is interesting. Is like how much longer can CS:GO actually actually exist in this day and age where 
there's so many gamers and there's so many video games out there and it's it's much more socially acceptable to be a gamer and now everyone's looking for that next new title to come out whether it's a streamer who's saying I need to become I need to pounce and become you know this game streamer or you know whatever it might be I'm, I'm very curious at what the attention span of today's gamers can actually can actually be because it's very different from when you and I were what 18 19 20 years old and playing games you know you've played starcraft for what 25 years now i've played counter-strike yeah, for 20 years now 20 years yeah i played I starcraft, StarCraft 21 even, even before counter-strike ever came out so i mean you know it's it's an interesting interesting industry to be in at this point one of the things i think that made csgo so successful is they didn't try to make counter-strike 2 they yeah. just made counter-strike again yeah which i think was one of the, the key reasons why it succeeded like starcraft has this weird uh problem where in Korea, the biggest game is StarCraft 1. Outside <laughs> Korea, the biggest game is StarCraft 2. I wonder if that pisses people off in Blizzard. Oh, no. They, they, they oh, probably love it. They're, they're, no, they're beside themselves. Because okay. they wanted StarCraft 2 to basically overtake StarCraft 1. Um, but if they really wanted to have a game that would just overtake StarCraft 1, they should have just made StarCraft remastered. Yeah. You know, and just and redone it again. Uh, instead of necessarily trying to innovate. Now, I obviously like both of the games, but right. it is it is a funny situation where CS:GO they didn't try to make uh, they didn't, they didn't an, an alternative. The to, yeah, they didn't. Re, yeah. They just updated the wheel. Yeah. They put some some chains on that shit. Exactly. Yeah. 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 They just gave it a, a facelift <laughs> and and it put the same game out there and it succeeded. And um, I don't know. It's just something I wonder with with Counter Strike. Can they do it again? Can they remake it again? And, and I think you could. Um, uh, well, and obviously I, I guess I don't know anything about game development, but I know one thing that I've always been weirded out about is like the, the hit registry for 1.6 felt so good. And yeah. I feel like when you get to a certain point of updating graphics, like that engine to have the better graphics, that doesn't always have the same feeling of how, how accurate and how, how much hit registry there is. I know for CSGO, that was one of the weird feelings, the online CSGO at the start of it. It was like, this is kind of strange. Something feels like it's not connecting, like the headshot animation, the headshot model, the hitboxes, some, something's off. Um, not, and obviously they, they've tweaked and fixed it over time. Um, but I would be curious about that because we see, I see it on a smaller scale now. Um, one of the things that they've been doing is like tweaking things like the economy system. Like you're not, you're not fucking with the actual gameplay itself, but like small tweak to the economy system, but it's a butterfly effect. Like you make the smallest change to the economy system and we're in an era of professional CSGO now where pretty much universally the professional players and analysts are highly critical of the changes to the economy system. Um, and that's a little bit more complex into the gameplay, but I mean, you want to think about trying to change a game that's been around for 20 years. Like, why would you ever do that? Like, that's, that's a scary prospect that takes some balls. They, they had this with Starcraft two as, as well. There was some debate about, um, if you're hitting two, cause you know, obviously you hit the keyboard very quickly in yeah. the game. Um, with mechanical keyboards, now you can have several buttons pressed at the same, same time, time and it, and it'll not register. back in the day. And you couldn't do that back <laughs> in the day. And there was all this back and forth. Um, about whether or not we we can allow that in StarCraft Remastered, and to be honest, I'm super old school. I thought it was a terrible idea, and then they updated it, and it feels amazing. Actually, the game runs much better. But yeah, uh, I, yeah. I was gonna say, I've as as someone who's hardcore into Counter Strike, I've had to you know bite the bullet and almost like publicly, maybe not publicly, maybe just privately, but I've just <laughs> you know in my head just like you know apologize to the Valve devs and be like I'm sorry, like you you were right on this one. I, I was, shit on this decision at the time. <laughs> I shit on it publicly, but privately, you were right. <laughs> I, I even had this with changing hotkeys in StarCraft Remastered. I thought, no, you can't do that. Like, probe has to be where P is. You have to go all the way to that side of the keyboard if you're going to use it. And then after they updated it um, and you could change all the hotkeys, I thought, 
oh, this is nice. No, I can actually <laughs> move stuff around. I don't know why I was making it such a big deal. Yeah, they've done good. Yeah, yeah. they've done. I, I think I think that's that's the case with with every. Uh, this is one area where I'm very happy where Valve is so hands off because I think I think devs get so much shit for the changes they want to implement as a developer to games. I think most of it isn't that the change is bad. I think it's just change. Yeah. Uh, not every time. I think there's been some some you know obviously bad decisions made, but. I think a lot of the times it's just pure change is like a hard thing to accept as a gamer because you've been playing the game for, you know, a year, five years, six years, or, you know, whatever it might be, and you're just used to it this way. What do you think about Riot's FPS game? That lo It looks sort of okay. like, almost like one point, like CS yeah. 1.6 with, I guess, Overwatch special effects? Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in it. I'm intrigued. Yeah. I'm intrigued to see what comes from it. I think... Um, I think part of the reason is they they've actually done something very smart. We had um one of the most legendary Counter-Strike 1.6 players who was actually a champion in 1.6, champion in Source and a champion in CS:GO, uh, Volcano. Um actually maybe not a champion in CS:GO. He was like very early on, he won a couple small regional things, but maybe not a, like a world champion. Um he also developed one of the most popular Counter-Strike maps of Cash, which is using competitive play. Um Riot brought him on, and he's a massive experience, super smart guy, super hardworking guy. So I, I know he's going to help them, you know, take that, steer that ship in the right direction. It looked, when I saw the release or the, the, the footage of it being released, it looked like it was still very far away from being actually ready for, for public consumption. My biggest fear about it, I, I hope it works, because I want there to be a competitor for Counter-Strike. I want to see what happens if there is. Um, my biggest fear about it is I heard about that game being in development back in, like, 2016. So I don't know like how much they've had to like restart or reboot over the years. I have to imagine if the game's taking three years to get to be developed, like you have whole new engines, whole new hardware that's available to you, like so much stuff changes. So I'm just like wondering how do you actually buckle down and get that game to release if it's already taken three years for you to get to a point where you can show anything publicly. Yeah, and it didn't look like it was finished. No. Like at all. Um, but I think it has some people behind it, and obviously, I think Riot obviously does a, did a good job with League of Legends as far as I know. I mean, I'm not involved in that scene, so I'm sure people in that scene would dispute that, but um, I, I think Riot's a pretty cool developer, um, and, I, and I hope it does well. And they've, they've got good people behind it. I've met some of the devs outside of my outside of the Counter-Strike guy, Volcano. Um, so I hope it does well. I, I, I'm not, I don't subscribe to that world where... You know, only like one FPS can be the winner. You know, I don't. I don't yeah. think like you know a rival game coming up is going to hurt Counter Strike. I think it could only help improve getting more eyeballs on esports and more eyeballs. I think the best product is going to rise to the top. It's not about the game. It's about the kind of show and the kind of product that you're putting out to the publishers. It is. It is a little about the game. I should say that. How, how familiar? How familiar are you with these um, other FPS games that are? For lack of better words, ripoffs of Counter Strike. Like, are you familiar with Crossfire or Special? I know Force of or Crossfire, but no, I've never played any of them. Because I was wondering if um, part of what Riot is doing is targeting these games. These games are all free, and a lot of them have microtransactions built yeah. into them, and they basically run on very low end PCs. Yeah. Um, and so, in all these marketplaces that you wouldn't think about, like. Indonesia or, or we talked about this on the train Indonesia. too with like Africa being targeted yeah. for like mobile gaming just yeah. recently was like it, PUBG was it, Mobile's huge in Africa yeah so is COD and, Mobile I think it was yeah. as well yeah it, it, and I was just wondering if maybe Riot's also trying to target these other parts of the world by maybe making an FPS game that's not super high yeah and like Overwatch you know Overwatch is very colorful the graphics yep. are very strong you need a you need a certain type of PC to run it yeah um but it if Riot is doing what I think they're doing, they're going to try to make something much more bare bones, much simpler, uh, and try to hit a very wide 
uh, audience. Yeah, and that makes sense. I think we'll. I think in a world where esports and especially in Counter Strike, with how oversaturated we are, or, or uh, you know, TOs have a tough time, and and even you know, developers just saying we need to make like these are all businesses. They need to make money. So I don't think that's a. I don't think it's a problem at all that they're targeting any of those. I think it's a smart decision. Um, I think the question always becomes like esports has become such a diluted term, and I don't know like if you even have like a definition in your head of what an esport is. But you know, you always hear those arguments like. I think the big is one, obviously, an e-sport? Is, is Fortnite not? an eSport? I don't I, know how much okay, it matters. Here, here, here's my take on this. Okay. Does it run on a computer? Does it run on... <laughs> yes. That it's Anything that's that's basically so you digital. So you don't think mobile mobile gaming is an eSport? Yeah, it's an eSport. No, that okay. could be an eSport. Because I it's on, it's on. I mean, the phone's a computer, basically. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, now, I think that it is fair to say that there are certain tiers of, well, of, of games on how difficult they are. But. Well, definitely, but I don't I don't see the problem like with Fortnite. Like I don't consider it an eSport in the way that Counter-Strike is an eSport. I feel like mm-hmm. Counter-Strike is an eSport more in line of like what a traditional sport is trying to be. I think Fortnite is an eSport more for like marketing and money making. Well, purposes, there's definitely... Which is absolutely fine. Yeah, there's definitely an, an issue going on where everything... I've joked about this a lot with Artosis, but buzzword, everything becomes an eSport. Yeah, it's a very big buzzword. For a while. Yeah. Um, and... You know, for instance, both StarCraft and Counter-Strike, people were making tournaments before the developer had any idea yeah, what yeah, was going yeah. on. Yep. I mean, people were basically coming together. The good old days, we And clamoring, <laughs> yeah. So we need, everybody plays this game. We need to figure out who's the best. We're going to have to have tournaments. Here's the maps we can use. Here's the shit you can't do. Um, uh, let, let's, let's get people together. And uh, that's all very organic. But now, I think because companies are realizing that esports is a thing they feel like they have to put some of their marketing budget into quote unquote esports right whether it's going to succeed or not now the fortnite one it's it's interesting because look that 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 game is not from our generation no it's right not. um yep. it's a battle royale um battle royales have proven to be the most challenging esports to to, to put on Yep. It's the most complicated thing to produce on television. Have you ever casted a Battle Royale game? I have. I, I've casted PUBG uh, in Korea. I did, okay. I think, two seasons. I casted Blackout. Just not even a season. I Just a one-day Blackout okay, so event what, what, what was What was that like for you? Um, Coming from CSGO. It was actually, it was, I mean, it was fine because it was one day. Like, yeah, I think if I okay. had to do it more and you had to put more thought into how to actually appropriately cast it, I think the problem was... The, I mean, the easy problem that I saw after just one day of doing it, because, you know, as an FPS commentator, it's easy enough to do that just for, for a day. Um, but it was just like when you switch from, you know, this like I think we were doing like a it had like Ninja, Shroud, Courage all had like their own teams that they put together. It was like four streamer teams. And it was like when you switch from Ninja's team into Shroud's team, I don't know what Shroud's been doing for the past five minutes. How are you supposed to build or narrate a story about yeah. what they've gone through? Like that's the charm of like watching an esporter for for StarCraft. It's like, man, this this motherfucker got like eight drones fucking blown up in the first ten minutes of this game or the yeah. first five minutes of this game. Like, how is he ever going to recover from this? Like, that's the story you build up. And so when he eventually has success later on, you're just like, this is so incredible that he's able to overcome the economic disadvantage, blah blah blah. And when you when you're in PUBG or when you're in Blackout or any of those battle royale games, and it's you switching to someone, you're like. I don't know if he got level three armor on the first box he opened. Like maybe yeah. he's just been cruising. Maybe he got wrecked. Maybe he's had to scavenge some cool stuff. Like you just don't know. And I think that's the real struggle with Battle Royale is that it seems like it's like five different stories in the game being like patchworked together with duct tape rather than like having one cohesive yeah. know, gorilla glue story. It, 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 it is it is odd because there's so many teams yeah. that are going, you know, and then 
you, sometimes you'll, you'll, especially like before the game starts, I found that where I was the most disingenuous as a caster because I'm trying to talk about what team this team might do or that team might do. Yeah. Then the game starts and they they fucking land and die yeah. immediately yeah, because, great. you know, they, they both went to the same. You know, so two teams, 20 minutes of pregame yeah, out the window. Pre <laughs> I, I guess that, and, then, and then you have to have several games back to back, but the team that might win an entire tournament, you know, the PUBG um, Global Finals is happening right now. Right. Um, if if I understand the format correctly, I mean, we might have the team that wins the last match that get the chicken dinner at the very end. They might not actually win the tournament. Yeah, they're gonna have to take all of the points from all the games and then collect them together. Yeah, I know they were. Um, that's and, a, they had, that they, seems antithetical. Yeah, to like it does. any sport, like in CS:GO, the bomb blows up. Okay, the terrorists won. Well, there's a, there's a reason that we don't in Counter Strike do round robin format anymore is because every once in a while in a round robin format you have a game that just doesn't matter whether this team's already yeah. been qualified or this team's already knocked out this game doesn't matter and I feel like in PUBG you can run into that same situation where it's like it doesn't really matter who wins this game this team's already won the tournament and it's like well yeah. why, why am I watching this game yeah, well, why are we doing yeah, this then? Why, why are we going through this charade now Shred. one thing I will say though is I found Battle Royale games are actually enjoyable to watch though I, I, I have because uh, OGN does uh, has been doing a PUBG yeah. league out here, and I will actually just sit on my couch and, and watch it and enjoy it. I, I find, because this was something everybody was joking about. I'm sure people were talking about this in CSGO, but I know over in StarCraft we were making jokes like, no, there's no way that you're going to be able to put you know, <laughs> this this many people together, this many right. teams. And in how, one physical how, location. Yeah, yeah, and how are you going gonna to watch it? And, and how? But I found it to be pretty enjoyable, actually. I, you know, I'm not going to lie. I've never sat down and actually watched a whole Battle Royale tournament from start yeah. to finish. I've tuned in for a couple couple days. Um, but, uh, you know, I haven't really dabbled in PUBG a whole lot. Blackout was the one I stuck most of my time into, and they don't have tournaments anymore. So so what can you do? I don't, I don't really know PUBG all that well. Um, I know Pansy's working it. I feel like... I feel like um, oh, yeah, Pansy and Sims are at... Yeah, they're casting yeah. this NA one that's going on right now. Um, I feel like... It's a big test for commentators. I think you'll see which which commentators rise to the top. If you if you throw them into a, like a battle royale game, I feel like that's a pretty big test of how well you can tell a story and commentate. That's like the ultimate challenge. Yeah, I, I think it, it takes a very different approach yeah. to covering stuff. And and I found that I was using because when I cast it, they gave me one screen that just had the mini map. Oh, good. And I could that's just fall, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I also had a second screen where I was looking in game, but actually, this this screen with the map made it so much easier. Yeah, because then I could always just look and kind of talk in a. In you could a at least you could at least get a glimpse of the future. Be like, oh, they're you know they're at this spot on the map. Yeah, and like, they can eventually run into each other in the next five minutes or so if they go on the right pathing. Is there any sense in Counter Strike that battle royales are a threat? No. To to there's not right. No, I mean even Counter Strike made a battle royale never to be competitive, but it's got one. It's there. It's um it's all right to play. Um, but no, again, like it's. I don't think we've ever we've ever looked at it in that way. At least I haven't. I know the other commentators haven't really. Um, I've always looked at Battle Royales as like, that is the streamer game. Like, that is the ideal game for a streamer, I feel like. Yeah, that maybe Hearthstone like as have, well. Hearthstone's have, very easy to interact yeah, with chat. You have enough downtime to like really, you know, interact and have a good time and tell some jokes and be an idiot and be silly and have the personality shine through. And then you get those intense periods of action that, you know, are pretty exciting. And then it calms down again while you loot and you kind of set up where you're going to go next. So I've always just looked at it as like an ideal streamer game. Um, but I've never felt like, and you know, I'll be honest, I was always amazed and I, I still am amazed at how little of a viewership hit Counter-Strike has always taken from not only how oversaturated our scene is, but... I never noticed any kind of viewership drop outside of, you know, maybe like the Fortnite World Championship. I can't remember what was going on that weekend, but like maybe when that big Worlds thing for Fortnite went on, but the average event, no. 
we still we we our viewership's kept pretty steady in CS, so we're for fortunate in that regard. Yeah, I, I do you think there's too many battle royales being made right now? I know we mentioned this briefly on the train. I've I've been kind of intrigued. Yeah, that I think they're. I don't know about right now because I haven't I haven't really kept up with that that side of the industry. But I know for a while it was just like holy fuck, there's another BR. Like yeah. like like oh, like, oh my god, COD's got one now. Yeah. PUBG has one. Uh, Fortnite obviously. Well, now the other thing we mentioned was obviously the um the uh, auto chess. Yeah, that one's now like oh, Epic's got well, Epic, Epic's coming out with one. Auto chess was there. Uh, Dota's got to make a Have new. Have you played Underlords. those at all? Yeah, are they we, fun? We grind Underlords pretty hard because really? we, we travel so much. So it's like, man, I've got a phone. I can play it on the airplane. Um, it doesn't take a great Wi-Fi connection. So if you're some shit hotel in the middle of nowhere, yeah, you know, you can still you can still play it. Um, and yeah, we 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 we've grinded it pretty hard for a few months, and I know Anders and I still play it pretty heavily and have a good time. Um, they're fine, but I like every other game that that is that level of com- complexity. Like when they come, up, they just came up with like the big update for Underlords. It was called it was literally called like the big update. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and they added like twenty new characters and five different alliances and like a bunch of different items. And as someone who doesn't get a chance, like I, I can't grind it. You know, I play it maybe like an hour here, like a game here, a game there, a game here, and a game there. I'm just like, this is so confusing to come back into. Even though I put 20 hours into it, the big update comes and it's like, well, I have to put at least five more hours into it just to understand the changes. And then I feel like I can play the game. So for me, it's just like some of these games are getting so complex. I'm just like, I just want a game that like can take my mind off of the travel that is like just de-stressing at the end of the night. That's why I literally play Arams for League of Legends more than any other game. Yeah. Because I just get into a server. It's one lane. I know all the heroes. Yeah. And like, it's just like, I will just brawl for the next 20 minutes and... Good. Do you, do you play any other uh, single-player games? Uh, I when, pretty when much exclusively only play single-player games. What, like, what I, games I, are you playing lately? Um, nothing lately. <laughs> um, I actually, I just finally got into The Witcher 3. I played that out earlier this year. I haven't played that yet. I heard um, it's fucking awesome, though. Yeah, that's the thing. Everyone told me it was amazing, and it is. It lived it up is? to the hype. It lived up to the fucking hype, which I, rarely happens. But like Battlefield 1, I bought that just for the campaign. I buy the battlefields, I buy Call of Duties just for the just for the campaigns. I don't play any of the multiplayers. I'm gonna go home and buy this new Call of Duty that just came out because I haven't been home since it got released. Did you haven't gotten to play Death Stranding yet, have you? No, I haven't. I, I don't know I'll if you're a PlayStation the... person, but I'm not. Oh, you're not? Okay. Which I I haven't touched a console since Halo Reach and Okay, so you're like PC Master Race. <laughs> yeah, guy. exactly. Okay. Well, I have I'm a PC Master Race and then Nintendo. Nintendo's always been my jam. You I'm, got a Switch? I'm, yeah. And that's that's the only thing keeping me sane. Um, I'm playing like some ninja game right now. I forget what it's called. Um, I my guilty pleasure in terms of esports, outside of StarCraft, is Smash Bros. If like there melee was, or, or ultimate, uh, ultimate. Well, just any Smash Bros. I played the shit out of Smash Bros. in college. If Smash Brothers was a major in college, I would have a PhD. Dude, um, you know my buddies I suck at my it. buddies run tournaments for it out here. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I should hook you up or next time you come through here because they always have Smash tournaments. I out think here. Smash is the only esport where I literally keep on track of it with vods. Like Starcraft, yeah. I'll catch the tournaments with Iran. Yeah. Counter Strike, obviously, I know. Um, League of Legends, I watched Worlds, but I don't really get a chance to watch. The, but like Smash, I'll go in a hotel room and I'll, I'll watch the VODs. Yeah. Favorite, favorite player is Zach Ray. He's a fucking baller. Japanese dude plays Wolf. Oh, dude. I, Smash is such a good game. It's so it different. It's so... Nobody's even trying to make something like Smash. It, it's, it's, right. so, it's so... It is a 2D fighter, but the idea of trying to get your opponent off the screen... It's genius. It's genius. Yes. It's I, so good. I, I love everything about it. Um, and you know what I think the best thing that ever happened to Smash? Did you ever watch that documentary, the Smash the documentary? The Smash Brothers. 
Was that was that the That's one? The name was they the, had like a six part documentary yes. series that came it's out. It's the greatest East documentary just like, of all time. Holy fucking shit! Like that was yes. just like a random fan made documentary. Homeboy like yeah. raised money. It was just, so good, and I didn't even i I could not believe how good that was, and that got me so hyped. And ever since I saw that, I've been watching Smash. So in my brain, when I try and extrapolate that to Counter Strike, I'm like, why has no one made that documentary? We have all these yeah, that's TOs. That's a good point. We've all just made. We have so many TOs just cranking millions of dollars, just throwing millions at these, at running these big arena events. And I'm like, why has no TO started yeah. making these documentaries and been like, fall in love with the players, fall in love with the teams, fall in love with the stories, and then you'll learn to love the game. But that's the that's the easiest in for the casual fan is finding that one player that they can identify with, that one player who had a similar you know, difficulty earlier. And like, you know, my parents got divorced and I was super depressed. So I got into Counter-Strike and that was the only thing that made me feel happy for like six months. And then I just got really good. And now I'm a pro player. There's some people who identify with that story versus just being like, oh, here's 13,000 people inside of an arena. I think we're losing, especially in Counter-Strike, it feels like we're, we're losing that touch with like the core esports side of what made our game so so big and so popular. And I'm wondering why that content isn't made. Well, actually, yeah. I know why, but why? What, what? Just because they're too focused on I've, just I've, events. I've pitched that content, and I know a lot of a lot of TOs that I've spoken to. Like the number one thing, it's not always verbatim, but like the the number one sentiment is always just like, "Why am I going to pay you know five, six, seven grand to make this content when there's twenty other TOs in the space who are going to benefit from it as well?" Oh wow! Okay, I hadn't thought of that. Because there, which, by the way, yeah. I don't have a legitimate argument against that complaint. Yeah, I don't. Ha I don't have a. I, I don't have a way to argue against that. I think that's it's entirely a fair discussion. Because Blizzard did a good job with the. Um, I could show you the videos after, but these WCS signature series. Yeah. Uh, videos where it just it's like a very small biopic yeah of a player but it, it gets people behind these guys. Uh, I know when we had majors, Valve did like little five minute videos on. Um, they're Valve profile pieces. They pick like five players a major. They've stopped doing them. But even those were just like very surface level. Yeah. Like nothing really diving too deep into what made this player so special. It's just like, here's this player who's super popular, who's very, very good. This is his home life. Enjoy. But uh. like we haven't any, had any kind of content like that dive very deep. And that is probably in my mind. And obviously I come from the angle of you know, a commentator and a content creator for, for TOs is that's the biggest thing in my mind that's been missing from the Counter-Strike scene. Yeah, it's it's funny what type of content is out there. Yeah. Because we have all, all big tournaments, arenas. Um, <laughs> that's a horn. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I can edit that out. Uh, no, sorry, um, we, we have these big tournaments. We have arenas. Um, and, of course, you can stream and get very intimate with watching somebody play, but... Um, Part of the reason why I even wanted to, to start doing this podcast uh, is that there's no footage of just like, for instance, two casters talking about the industry or talking about, yep. you know, I'm from StarCraft, you're from Counter-Strike. There's nothing like this out here. And I totally agree. There's not enough, um, especially in Counter-Strike and any kind of biopic stuff yeah. on players or on teams, because what this this Smash Brothers documentary, Ryan, can you look this up? Just go to YouTube. I just want to see if I got the name right. So if people are listening. So you're the Jamie. Yeah, this is this is young Jamie over here. <laughs> um, basically, that got so many people involved in yeah. Smash because if you didn't know the history, then you could watch it. Bro, and, and it was, is, is, am, I, am I right? Is that 
It is called the Smash Brothers. Okay, it's, yeah. it's so genius watching that because it talks about like all the different like, like the great like the top like five or six Smash Bros from that era, that generation. And they really capture Their East Coast versus West Coast. And what's, yeah, that yeah. Was, which is which is awesome. Obviously, fucking hip hop did that great as well. Yeah. Um, but also like. Their, their gameplay like this how their gameplay and how it matches with their personality and we have guys like that in counter-strike and i'm just i'm just like man i'm so fucking jealous yeah. you know i I'm, I'm a big um outside of esports i'm a big history buff um so one thing that i wanted to do i i made it i produced um, my own my own video for for counter-strike about um beginning of 2017 so like two and a half three years ago about this point um just out of my own pocket um way too expensive which is why i haven't been able to kind of continue it um, but it is just kind of like, you know, NFL's greatest games where they go and they talk about like, you know, the bears versus the Packers from like yeah. the 1980s or something, or they'll do like a one hour episode on like the 1985 bears. You can do that so easily in a game like counter-strike. You could do it easily in a game like Starcraft where you have such a rich, like we have, we have games that have such rich histories and players that were playing 10 years ago are still playing today, yeah. still competing today. And it's, and we're not you like, what a resource that is that no one's tapping into appropriately. Like yeah. what other esport has that? Well, that, that, that's the beautiful thing about our games is that yeah. they are – I mean, I kind of chuckle when I see somebody saying, this guy's an Overwatch legend, and I'm like, well, I mean – We're using legend like very – years, yeah. you know, We're using legend. Nothing against Overwatch in this sense, but it's just like, okay, but I mean – you know, do you know what the, the, a good Starcraft player looked like yeah. two years into the game? They fucking sucked. No, know, but that's that's, that's what it goes back to when I was saying like we in esports we love hand jobs. Like those those we've, we exist in a world where hyperbole is now just the natural way of describing things, and it's like, yeah. come on, like we can't we can't dilute these words for everyone. It's, yeah. it's not even trying to disparage you. It's just can we not call everyone a legend? Yeah, it's, especially that yeah. word is just like, yeah, everyone, like everyone's a, a legend. legend. What the fuck yeah. does legend mean to right. you? I mean, look, he, he, right, he's the best Genji player. Okay, yeah, but. Legend. I mean, this is, you know, it exists over periods of time. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. There is a time factor in this one. Um, well, look, I think um, I, I don't want to make you uh, late for your girlfriend. So no, let's you know, uh, like let's talk. I mean, we got no. This is well, what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to I think an after show now, which is just like cool. a, a little bit longer, and just for people that pay on Patreon. But dude, this was. This was a really good episode, man. Thank you so much for Cheers, doing brother. this, man. No, thanks for having me. I, I, not to go back to the conversation we had on the train and not to gush over you or anything, but um, when I live with my brother. We used to tune in, you and Dan, watching uh, Cast and Starcraft oh, all really? the time. We'd, we'd make dinner and we'd sit there and we watch oh, that's so cool, man. GSL replays and all the, all the Starcraft replays and oh, everything. Oh, that's so, so cool, man. Um, this is awesome for me. Thanks, Dude, well, thanks so much for doing it, man. All right, guys, we're going to go to the after show now um, for Patreon donors. Uh, thanks again for doing this. Cheers. Okay, that does it for our episode. Uh, can you believe how much they travel? I knew that CSGO casters travel a lot. I mean, there's always events going on. I did not actually fully understand until he explained it to me how much he's on the road. That is crazy, man. That is a totally different life, man. Um, I hope he is doing well. He should be casting. I think he was casting in Shanghai. He was leaving Korea to go to Shanghai, and he's probably going to continue to tour around for a little bit. So uh, best wishes to your traveling, Moses. Thanks again for doing this episode. Uh, we're going to be back next week with another episode here as um, there is basically no work for me right now. We're in the off offseason. Uh, quick reminder, I do have the KSL Finals. That is on the 29th in the evening here in Korea. Uh, if you're in Seoul, you're welcome to come down to the studio. If not, definitely check it out because that is the last major StarCraft event until um, we renew WCS and ASL and KSL for next year. So uh, if you're jonesing for some StarCraft, this is your last shot. So, guys, uh, again, we're going to have the after show uh, for Patreon supporters. Uh, if you want to go check that out, go to patreon.com forward slash Podcast. 
And I love you guys. Thank you so much for joining me. I will see you guys again next week. This episode was produced by State, artwork by Alarise, music by Mark Lentz. A special thanks to our top supporters on Patreon, Seth Rohit Sambadi, Charlie Sheever, John Kernicki, and Tyler Tebow Baggins Radsek. 